All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and we are standing in the confessional corner this week. And this week, we begin the last of the documents in the Book of Concord, the Formula of Concord of 1577. Now, the Formula of Concord is split up into two different documents, the original one being the Solid Declaration, which is very much like the large catechism version of the Formula of Concord where this is the original, and then for the epitome, it had to be pared down at the request of one of the Lutheran princes to have just kind of the bullet points and not necessarily have all of the proof text and quotations from the other confessions as well as Luther and the scriptures. So as we look at the Formula of Concord, this is kind of the seminal document of the Lutheran Reformation. And it has none of the major characters from the Lutheran Reformation's first generation involved. The six guys who are the concordist looking to bring about peace and harmony to the warring sides of the Lutheran Reformation after Luther's death are all second generation reformers. They are all having to pick up from what Luther and Melanchthon and Bugenhagen and the rest of them all took together and to weed out all of the inconsistencies, all of the misinterpretations and misquotations that are in there. Plus also correct a few things where, especially like Philip Melanchthon had gone well astray in his later years. So as we look at the Formula of Concord, we're going to look this week at the introduction and the summary content rule and norm, as it is called in the Concordia, the Reader's Edition. So we're at page 505 to look at it from the Solid Declaration, because there is a completely different introduction to this added on to the comprehensive summary foundation rule and norm that serves as the introduction to the epitome. By the Almighty's special grace and mercy, the teaching about the chief articles of our Christian religion, which under the papacy had been horribly clouded by human teachings and ordinances, had been explained and purified again from God's word by Dr. Luther of blessed and holy memory. The papistic errors, abuses, and idolatries had been rebuked by him. Nevertheless, this pure reformation was regarded by its opponents as a new teaching. It was violently, though without foundation, charged with being entirely against God's word and the Christian ordinances. In addition, the Reformation was burdened by unsupportable slanders and accusations. The Christian electors, princes, and the states of the empire at that time had embraced the pure doctrine of the Holy Gospel. They also had their churches reformed in a Christian manner according to God's word. At the great Diet of Augsburg in 1530, they had a Christian con confession prepared from God's word and delivered to Emperor Charles V. In this way, they clearly and plainly made their Christian confession about what was being held and taught in the Christian evangelical churches on the chief articles. They focused especially on the articles in controversy between themselves and the papists. Although this confession was received with disfavor by their opponents, still, thank God, it remains unrefuted and undefeated to this day. So we start off the formula of Concord with a little bit of a history lesson in this introduction, especially as we talk about Luther and the Reformation. And even though he was trying to take out the abuses 
and the errors and the idolatries that have been brought in by the Pope and the Cardinals and all such other organizations within that were bringing about these different things is being charged with being something completely new and totally against God's word, which, of course, as we've seen throughout, they've kind of laughed at because, okay, here it is in the word of God, the same Bible that you have, that you supposedly teach out of. But now you see that we are the ones as the Lutherans, as the evangelicals, as they called themselves back then, that are the ones who are in the right, according to God's word. And we talk about the Augsburg Confession of 1530. We'll talk about that again more throughout this entire introduction here. But it is from 1530, the very one that was brought before Emperor Charles V. And this last sentence in this para opening paragraph, although this confession was received with disfavor by their opponents. And we looked at the Roman confutation back many, many months ago. Still, thank God, it remains unrefuted and undefeated to this day. Almost 50 years later, and the publication of the Book of Concord with everything in it that we are studying in this confessional corner was published on the 50th anniversary of the deliverance of this very confession. It still remains unrefuted and undefeated. And still, 400 plus years later, almost 500 now, it has still not been refuted and defeated and shown to be false. This is the staying power of the confessions. People want to look at it and say, oh, no, these were written 500 years ago. They have nothing to do with us today. And yet we see that the struggles that we have are just new faces slapped on old problems. And we see just how useful these confessions are. And I hope that as we have gone through the confessional corner segments over the last three years of this podcast, that you truly have seen that. As we are getting into a new document to study, I encourage you, if you would like to go back and see any of these things again, especially as we get through the quotations in the Solid Declaration, to go back to the website. All of the confessional corners are there. Just go to wrestlingwiththeology.org, click on the podcast tab, confessional corner, all of the different parts, the creeds, the Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the small cult articles, and the catechisms are all there in playlists so that you can easily just go in and see which one you want to go to. I encourage you to go back and make use of that as we go through the formula of Concord over these over the rest of 2023. We pick up in paragraph four. To this Christian Augsburg confession, so thoroughly grounded in God's word, we here pledge ourselves publicly and solemnly again from our inmost hearts. We abide by its simple, clear, and unadulterated meaning as the words convey it. We regard this confession as a pure Christian symbol. At the present time, this confession ought to be found alongside God's word among true Christians, which pious hearts ought to receive next to the matchless authority of God's word. They should act just as in former times when certain great controversies had arisen in God's church. Symbols and confessions were proposed to which the pure teachers and hearers at that time pledged themselves with heart and mouth. 
We intend also, by the Almighty's grace, to abide faithfully by this Christian confession, mentioned several times before, until our death, just as it was delivered in the year 1530 to Emperor Charles V. Whether in this writing or in any other, it is not our it is our plan not to withdraw in the least from that off-sided confession, nor to propose another or new confession. So the formula of Concord is, yes, a new confession, but it's not something to replace the Augsburg Confession. It is something to show that we base ourselves, first of all, on the Word of God, then upon the Augsburg Confession, and then we go into the writings of Martin Luther and the other reformers to then talk about the controversies that have come up over the years. Because as we are writing this, this is 60 years after the nailing of the 95 Theses. It's 47 years after the Augsburg Confession is delivered. So there has been plenty of time for heresies and misunderstandings to be brought in. And that is what the Formula of Concord is here to do, is to go through not only the history of how it happened, but to put out what is the correct biblical teaching. And nothing is going to take us away from that, which is what we pastors, especially in the Missouri Synod, subscribe to when we are ordained as pastors or when we are installed in a congregation, that we will teach faithfully from these confessions, which is the main reason why I put the confessional corner in this podcast, is so that I can truly say I am teaching and am reaching a almost global audience as Looking back, I have not only listeners in America, but also Romania, Great Britain, and all around the world that have at least brought a couple of episodes and listened to them. So this is a great privilege, a humbling honor, truly. But to simply do what I promised to do when I became a pastor is to teach what the confessions say. We move on to paragraph 6. The Christian doctrine of this confession has, for the most part, remained unchallenged, except for what has been challenged by the papist. Yet it cannot be denied that some theologians have departed from some great and important articles of this confession. Either they have not understood the true meaning of the other articles, or they have not continued steadfastly in them. Occasionally, some even tried to attach a foreign meaning to this confession. At the same time, they wanted to be regarded as followers of the Augsburg Confession and to help themselves and make their boast about it. Serious and harmful divisions have arisen in the pure evangelical churches from this. The same thing happened during the lives of the holy apostles among those who wanted to be called Christians and boasted of Christ's doctrine. Horrible errors likewise arose. Some sought to be justified and saved by the works of the law, Acts 15, 1-29. Others denied the resurrection of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Still others did not believe that Christ was true and eternal God. The holy apostles had to attack these teachings forcefully in their sermons and writings, Galatians 1.8. They did this although such fundamental errors and severe controversies could not happen at that time without offense both to the unbelievers and to those weak in the faith. In a similar way, our opponents today, the papists, rejoice over the divisions that have arisen among us. They rejoice in the unchristian and vain hope that these disagreements might finally cause the downfall of the pure doctrine. Meanwhile, those who are weak in faith are greatly offended and disturbed. Some of them doubt whether amidst such disagreements the pure doctrine is with us. Still others do not know with whom to side regarding the articles and controversy. 
for the controversies that have happened are not, as some would regard them, mere misunderstandings or disputes about words, as are apt to occur, with one side failing to grasp the meaning of the other well enough, and the difficulty lying in a few words that are not of great importance. The controversial subjects are important and great. They are of such a nature that the opinion of the party in error cannot be tolerated in God's church, much less be excused or defended. Necessity requires us to explain these disputed articles according to God's word and approved writings. Everyone who has Christian understanding can notice which opinion about the controversial matters agrees with God's word and the Christian Augsburg Confession, and which does not. Then sincere Christians who have the truth at heart may guard and protect themselves, flee and avoid against these errors and corruptions that have risen. Now, I have said earlier on, that yes, there are misunderstandings. There are people who spoke wrongly and then unfortunately felt the need to continue to ground themselves in that misspeaking. That maybe originally they didn't think so. But again, there are also many times where there were students of Luther that thought that Luther did not go far enough so that they wanted to make sure they got rid of everything that was possibly papist and definitely avoid giving the offense that they might be reformed like Zwingli or Calvin. But what we have here in the Formula of Concord are the major controversies that are not in little things. I mean, if we look at the articles that are here, we see that very clearly. Let's look at the articles real quick. Original sin, free will, the righteousness of faith before God, good works, law and gospel, the third use of the law, the Lord's Supper, the person of Christ, the descent into hell, the adiaphora, the things that are indifferent, God's eternal foreknowledge or election, and then all the other factions that have named themselves under the Augsburg Confession, but truly do not believe what the Augsburg Confession has to say. I mean, these are not things that are trivial. These are things that are very, very important and must be seen to be in that great importance and light. So that is the introduction to the, the solid declaration of the Formula of Concord. Now we get into the summary foundation rule and norm. And I'm going to flip back now. We're on page 473 in the Concordia, the Reader's Edition, to look at it from the epitome. And as I said, the this is kind of the small catechism version of the Formula of Concord. Could also be known, be seen as the Cliff Notes version, because it is trying to get everything from the solid declaration down into bullet points. And that's exactly how we start here. Number one, we believe, teach, and confess that the only rule and norm according to which all teachings, whether together with all teachers, should be evaluated and judged, 2 Timothy 3, 15-17, are the prophetic and apostolic scriptures of the Old and New Testament alone. For it is written in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. St. Paul has written, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached from you, let him be accursed. Galatians 1.8. However, other writings by ancient or modern teachers, no matter whose name they bear, must not be regarded as equal to the Holy Scriptures. 
All of them are subject to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 14.32 Other writings should not be received in any other way or as anything more than witnesses that show how this pure doctrine of the prophets and the apostles was preserved after the time of the apostles and at what places. So we go through the early church fathers. And if you are listening to the Digging Deepers into Revelation, we have a lot of quotations from the early church fathers. And that is wonderful. But we also must know that no matter what name they bear, whether they are from Ecumenius, as we cite many times, or from Augustine, or even from Luther, or Melanchthon, or anybody else, as we get into this, especially like with Martin Chemnitz, one of the concordists, it is not to be considered equal to the Bible, because that is exactly what Luther was fighting against in the first place, is it's not the word of God that was the main authority in the Roman church. It was the traditions that they had come up with, the rules that they had made that eclipsed what the Bible actually said. Continuing on, number two, Right after the time of the apostles, and even while they were still living, false teachers and heretics arose, Titus 3, 9-10. Therefore, symbols, brief, concise confessions, were written against the heretics in the early church. These symbols were regarded as the unanimous, universal Christian faith and confession of the Orthodox and true church. They are the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. We pledge ourselves to these symbols, and in this way we reject all heresies and teachings that have been introduced into God's church against them. So the very first thing we look at is in these writings that have come up over the centuries, we look to the three ecumenical creeds to see this is the pure exposition of the pure doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Number three, however, schisms and matters of faith have also happened in our time. Therefore, we regard as the unanimous consensus and declaration of our Christian faith and confession, especially against the papacy and its false worship, idolatry, superstition, and against other sects, the first unadulterated Augsburg Confession. It is the symbol of our time, and it was delivered to the emperor, Charles V, at Augsburg in the year 1530 in the Great Diet. We hold to this confession, along with its apology and the articles composed at Smallcold in the year 1537, which the chief theologian signed at that time. Such matters also concern the laity and the salvation of their souls. Therefore, we also confess Dr. Luther's small and large catechisms as they are included in Luther's works. They are the layman's Bible because everything necessary for a Christian to know for salvation is included in them which is handled more extensively in the Holy Scriptures. As announced above, all teachings are to be conformed in this way. What is contrary to these confessions is to be rejected and condemned, as opposed to the unanimous declaration of our faith. In this way, the distinction between the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament and all other writings is preserved. The Holy Scriptures alone remain the judge, rule, and norm. According to them, as the only touchstone, all teachings shall and must be discerned and judged to see whether they are good or evil, right or wrong. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21-22 The other symbols and writings mentioned above are not judges like the Holy Scriptures. They are only a testimony and declaration of the faith. They show how the Holy Scriptures have been understood and explained in regard to controversial articles in God's church by those living at that time. Also, they show how the opposite teaching was rejected and condemned by what arguments the dogmas conflicting with the Holy Scriptures were rejected and condemned. 
All right, so as we have not only the ancient creeds, but also in their own day, in the 16th century, you have the Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the Small Cold Articles, the Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope, and Luther's Large and Small Catechisms. And they go into a little bit of each of them. And I want to just quickly glance at these. They subscribe to the first unadulterated Augsburg Confession. You go to many churches and you'll see the cornerstone that is laid in the church building. And many of them will say, you know, St. John's Lutheran Church, UAC. What does the UAC mean? Unaltered, unadulterated Augsburg Confession. The original one, not the one that Melanchthon wrote later to try to get Calvin in under the Augsburg Confession as well. We go to the small cold articles and the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, which we covered a few months ago. And then, of course, the small and large catechisms, the layman's Bible, because everything necessary for a Christian to know about salvation is contained in there. And these are all great and wonderful works, but they will say right off the bat, these are not the same as Scripture. They help to explain Scripture, especially in the controversial subjects. That is the epitome's summary, rule, and norm. So let's move over to page 506 in the Concordia, the Reader's Edition, to look at the Solid Declaration as we have a bit more of an extended one, but I wanted to make sure I got all of this in, in one episode. So here we go. Solid Declaration. For thorough, permanent unity in the church, it is necessary above all things that we have a comprehensive, unanimously approved summary and form of teaching. The common doctrine must be brought together from God's word and reduced to a small circle of teaching, which the churches that are of the true Christian religion must confess. They must do this just as the ancient church always had its fixed symbols for its use. Furthermore, this should not be based on private writings, but on the kind of books that have been composed, approved, and received in the name of the churches that pledge themselves to one doctrine and religion. Therefore, we have declared to one another with heart and mouth that we will not make or receive a separate or new confession of our faith. Instead, we will confess the public common writings, which always and everywhere were held and used as such symbols or common confessions in all the churches of the Augsburg Confession before the disagreements arose among them who accept the Augsburg Confession. We will confess them as long as there are on all sides in all articles a unanimous adherence to and a maintenance and use of the pure doctrine of the divine word, as the sainted Dr. Luther explained it. So here we have right off the bat that we need a permanent, thorough unity in the church. Therefore, we need to have a solid foundation upon which to teach from. And this is not just private writings. This is what has been deemed by the church to be foundational to our understanding. So therefore, we can say as Lutherans, no, we do not accept everything that Martin Luther wrote. We do accept as foundational his catechisms, the articles that he composed for small called. Yes, we have these, but if there are things you find in any of his writings, and there are a lot of them, we don't subscribe to everything he ever said. Because he said a lot of things that were 
not quite right, that he would have to go back later and to refute. I mean, he even wrote a couple of books against himself because of trying to correct things that he had said earlier. So these are all things that are public and acknowledged by the church at large to be confessions of the church. So first, we receive and embrace with our whole heart the prophetic and apostolic scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the pure, clear fountain of Israel. They are the only true standard or norm by which all teachers and doctrines are to be judged. Number two, in ancient times, the true Christian doctrine in a pure, sound sense was collected from God's word into brief articles or chapters against the corruption of heretics. Therefore, we confess in the second place the three ecumenical creeds, the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian. They are glorious confessions of the faith, brief, devout, and founded on God's word. All the heresies that had at that time arisen in the Christian church are clearly and irrefutably answered by these creeds. In the third place, in these times, by special grace, God has brought the truth of his word to light again from the darkness of the papacy through the faithful service of the precious man of God, Dr. Luther. According to the word of God, this doctrine has been collected from it into the articles and chapters of the Augsburg Confession against the corruptions of the papacy and other sects. Therefore, we also confess the first unaltered Augsburg Confession as our symbol for this time. This is not because it was written by our theologians. We confess it because it has been taken from God's word and well-founded firmly in the word of God. We confess it precisely in the form in which it was committed to writing in the year 1530 and presented to Emperor Charles V at Augsburg by some Christian electors, princes, and estates of the Roman Empire as a common confession of the Reformed churches. By this confession, our Reformed churches are distinguished from A, the Papist, and B, other rejected and condemned sects and heresies. This follows the custom and usage of the early church, just as later councils, Christian bishops, and teachers appealed to the Nicene Creed and confessed it. So here we have, again, starting off with the Augsburg Confession. But they make note to say, we do not confess this because it was written by our theologians, but because it has been taken from God's word and well-founded firmly in the word of God. And again, it is the unaltered Augsburg Confession of 1530 that is subscribed to. We move on four. In the fourth place, an extensive apology was composed, published, and printed in 1531 regarding the proper and true sense of the oft-quoted Augsburg Confession. This was done after the Confession's presentation so that we might explain ourselves at greater length and guard against the Papist. This was also done so that condemned errors might not sneak into God's church under the Augsburg Confession's name or dare to seek cover under it. We unanimously confess this apology also. Not only is the Augsburg Confession explained by the apology as much as is necessary and guarded, but it is also proven by clear, irrefutable testimonies of Scripture. So again, in this little history lesson, we have the apology coming along to help further clarify what the Augsburg Confession said, especially in regard to the notes taken from the Roman Confutation. In the fifth place, we also confess the articles composed, approved, and received a small called in the Great Assembly of Theologians in the year 1537. We confess them as they were first framed and printed in order to be delivered in the Council at Mantua, or wherever it would be held, in the name of the estates, electors, and princes. They confessed it as an explanation of the above-mentioned Augsburg Confession, in which by God's grace they were resolved to abide. 
In the small called articles, the Augsburg Confessions doctrine is repeated and some articles are explained at greater length from God's word. Besides this, the cause and reasons are indicated as far as necessary why we have abandoned the papistic errors and idolatries and can have no fellowship with them. They also explain why we do not know and cannot think of a way for coming to any agreement with the Pope on these points. Again, as we saw in the small called articles, Luther is very clear. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we cannot let go of. And these are the things in Rome that we must say have to go if there is any chance for any sort of agreement between Rome and Wittenberg. And of course, that Council at Mantua never happened. It wouldn't happen until the Council of Trent. And then again, it was not as Luther really supposed it would be. It was a lambasting of all the Lutherans and all the other Protestants as the Roman Catholics consider them, that, you know, we're going to say that all of you are going to hell. You have to come back under the church, under the Pope, in order for salvation to happen. Otherwise, you are condemned. Which we figured from the small called articles from the Augsburg Confession was going to happen anyway. In the sixth place, these highly important matters also concern the common people and laymen. Because they are Christians, they must distinguish between pure and false doctrine for their salvation. Therefore, we also confess the small and the large catechisms of Dr. Luther, as they were written by him and included in his works. They have been unanimously approved and received by all churches holding to the Augsburg Confession, and have been publicly used in churches, schools, and in homes. Furthermore, the Christian doctrine from God's word is put together in them in the most correct and simple way and explained as far as is necessary for simple lay people. So again, you have the layman's Bible of the small and large catechisms. Because, yes, the Augsburg Confession and the Apology, the small called articles, the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, get to be a little heavy and heady because they are written by people trained in philosophy and rhetoric. Luther writes the catechism for everyone so that everyone may be able to understand what is absolutely necessary for salvation. Therefore, we continue, even now, almost 500 years after their publication, to use them to teach the youth that are coming up to confirm their faith given to them in their baptism. The formula continues. In the pure churches and schools, these public common writings have always been respected as the sum and model of the doctrine that Dr. Luther, of blessed memory, has admirably pulled together from God's word and firmly established against the papacy and other sects. We want to appeal to his full explanations in his doctrinal and polemical writings. We do so in the same way and as far as Dr. Luther himself was given necessary and Christian encouragement about his writings in the Latin preface to his published works. He has clearly drawn up this distinction. God's word alone should be and remain the only standard and rule of doctrine to which the writings of no man should be regarded as equal. Everything should be subjected to God's word. So even Luther didn't want his writings to be seen as something close to approaching scripture and definitely not as equal to scripture because that's exactly what he was fighting against with the Pope and with the councils. Other good, useful, pure books, expositions of the Holy Scriptures, refutations of errors, and explanations of doctrinal articles are not rejected by this point. 
As long as they are consistent with the above-mentioned type of doctrine, these works are considered useful expositions and explanations. They can be helpful. What has been said so far about the summary of our Christian doctrine is only intended to mean this. We should have a unanimously accepted, de definite, common form of doctrine. All our evangelical churches should confess it together and in common. Because this confession has been derived from God's word, all other writings should be judged and adjusted to it to determine the extent to which they are approved and accepted. For this purpose, we brought together the above-mentioned writings, the Augsburg Confession, Apology, Small Cult Articles, Luther's Large and Small Catechisms, as the frequently mentioned summary of our Christian doctrine. This was done because these have always and everywhere been regarded as the common, unanimously accepted meaning of our churches. Furthermore, they have been signed at that time by the chief and most enlightened theologians, and they have held sway in all evangelical churches and schools. Also, as mentioned before, they were all written and sent out before the divisions among the theologians of the Augsburg Confession arose. Therefore, they are held to be impartial and neither can nor should be rejected by either side of those who have entered into controversy. No one who is a follower of the Augsburg Confession without guile will complain about these writings. They will cheerfully accept and tolerate them as witnesses of the truth. No one can think ill about us because we get an explanation and decision about the articles and controversy from these writings. As we lay down God's word, the eternal truth as the foundation, we also introduce and quote these writings as a witness of the truth and as the unanimously received correct understanding of our predecessors who have steadfastly held to the pure doctrine. So once again, we have this foundation given and appealing to it because it is in accord with God's word. It has already been subjected to God's word. And so we also subject ourselves to it as Lutherans. Now the rest of this summary goes into the false doctrine, the antitheses in the disputed articles. So we pick up in paragraph 14 on page 510. It is not only necessary that the pure, wholesome doctrine be rightly presented for the preservation of pure doctrine and for thorough, permanent, godly unity in the church, but it is also necessary that the opponents who teach otherwise be reproved. 1 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3.16, Titus 1.9. Faithful shepherds, as Luther says, should do both things, feed and nourish the lambs and resist the wolves. Then the sheep may flee from strange voices. John 10 5 to 12, and may separate the precious from the worthless, Jeremiah 15, 19. Regarding these matters, we have thoroughly and clearly told one another the following. A distinction should and must by all means be kept between unnecessary and useless wrangling. The church should not allow itself to be disturbed by this, since it destroys more than it builds up. And B, when the kind of controversy arises that involves the articles of faith or the chief points of Christian doctrine then the false opposite doctrine must be reproved for the defense of the truth. So we have to not only just say what is true, but we have to talk about why what is wrong is wrong. The aforesaid writings offer the Christian reader, who delights in and has a love for the divine truth, clear and correct information about each and every disputed article of our Christian religion. They show what he should regard and receive as right and true according to God's word of the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. They also show what he should reject, shun, and avoid as false and wrong. The truth must be preserved distinctly and clearly and distinguished from all errors. 
Nothing must be hidden and concealed under common words. Therefore, we have clearly and directly declared ourselves to be to one another on the chief and most important articles taken one by one. At the present time, these articles have come into controversy so that there might be a public definite testimony, not only for those now living, but also for our descendants. We make known what is and should remain the unanimous understanding and judgment decision of our churches in reference to the articles in controversy. So as we get to the three points that they make, I want to just say, again, this is not just something that they are writing for their time. They are expecting this to go down much as the Augsburg Confession, the Apology, the small called articles have continued to hold sway. They expect this formula to also hold sway because it is based off of God's word and seen through the light of these writings. So the three points they have that they want to make sure is known to not only the people of their time, but also to us today and even for our descendants. First, we reject and condemn all heresies and errors that were rejected and condemned in the primitive ancient Orthodox Church on the true firm ground of the Holy Divine Scriptures. Second, as just mentioned, we reject and condemn all sects and heresies that are rejected in the writings of the comprehensive summary of the confession of our churches. Third, within 30 years, divisions arose among some theologians of the Augsburg Confession because of the interim and for other reasons. Therefore, it has been our purpose to state and to declare plainly, purely, and clearly in thesis and antithesis our faith and confession about each and every one of these divisions. This means we state the true doctrine and the opposite doctrine in order that the foundation of divine truth might be clear in all articles. In this way, all unlawful, doubtful, suspicious, and condemned doctrines might be exposed, distinctly repudiated, wherever and in whatever books they may be found, and whoever may have written them, or who even now may be ready to defend them. So everyone may be faithfully warned against these errors, which are spread here and there in some theologians' writings. No one should be misled in this matter by reputation of any person. From this declaration, the Christian reader will inform himself in every emergency. He will compare it with the writings listed above, and he will find out exactly what was confessed in the beginning about each article in the comprehensive summary of our religion and faith. He will note what was later restated at different times and is repeated by us in this document. He will see that it is in no way contradictory, but is the simple, unchangeable, permanent truth. Therefore, we do not change from one doctrine to another, as our adversaries falsely assert. We eagerly desire to be found loyal to the once-delivered Augsburg Confession and its unanimously accepted Christian meaning. Through God's grace, we desire to abide firmly and constantly by the Augsburg Confession in opposition to all corruptions that have entered. Again, as they close out this summary and introduction to the Formula of Concord, they are stating their case that they plan to abide by these teachings, especially by the Augsburg Confession, until their dying breath, as does every pastor of the Lutheran Church who takes the vows that they will not only teach but uphold these teachings to be the true exposition of God's Word. And we see this again and again as we see ordinations starting to come up as graduates have come out of the seminary and are getting ready to go out to their first call. As pastors take, take calls from one congregation to another, again, repeating the same promises they made at their ordination 
so that this congregation that they are called to serve hears those promises. We continue to abide by these as the true exposition and the clear understanding of what the Bible teaches. All right, I have waxed on almost for 40 minutes now, so I should really sign off. But I thank you for being here and going through this with me. And I hope that you find the Formula of Concord as engaging as the Augsburg Confession and the other writings of this, and that it may truly equip you to wrestle with the theologies around you today and always. Amen.